The Force is with you, young Skywalker. But you are not a Jedi yet. Masters and Padawans, episode 223 of Full Sith. I am Mike Pilot, and with my co-host, Tolly Fry, and Brian Young. And uh, we have a special uh, show for you guys this week, and Brian's going to explain it to you right now. So, uh, I'm sure many of you like the Freemaker Adventures. Sure do. And yep. many of you like Star Wars music. Sure do. And so, I had a chance to have a pretty meaty conversation with Michael Kramer, the person in charge of creating that Star Wars music. For the Freemaker Adventures. He was nominated for an Emmy for his work on the show and uh, just really excited to talk to us about Star Wars. And it was a lot of fun. To be accurate, talk to you about Star Wars. Well, he wanted to talk to all of us. Yeah. But uh, uh, I was the only one who was available during his availability. Yeah. And it's a good, yeah. it's a good interview, too. We're going to play it. That's why we're here to play uh-huh. it. Yeah. But I already heard and it, it, and it's great. It and then we'll, we'll be back with some uh, with some email. Yeah, let's do that. All right, let's uh, listen to the interview now. Michael, thank you for uh, for joining me tonight. Um, the first question I like to ask everyone uh, when we're talking about Star Wars is, what was your first exposure to Star Wars? Yeah, well, first of all, um, thanks for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, my my first exposure to Star Wars. Well, the interesting thing is, you know, my family wasn't really into movies, so I I did a lot of exploring uh, on my own, and it wasn't really until junior high that I think I stole somebody's um, VHS copy of uh, of Star Wars and and watched it for the first time, and I was into it, but you know, to to be honest, I I wasn't totally grabbed. It wasn't until you know later in life that I that I really started to fall in love with it. How? How did you get involved in the Freemaker Adventures? Uh, was that your association with Lego, or was, how did you become the right person for that? Yeah, so, you know, w- my first kind of big breakout um, uh, for me was Ninjago on Cartoon Network. And, you know, that show, it was animated by this uh, studio called Will Film out in Denmark. They're a terrific animation studio. And uh, so I, I, you know, been composing that with um, my writing partner, uh, Jay Vincent. We've been doing that for, you know, quite a while now. And we've built up quite a rapport with, uh, you know, the folks over at Will Film and also the, the audio studio. Uh, they're called Jelly Sound. And, you know, it, basically it was through their, that connection. They... You know, they worked with Lucasfilm on Freemakers, and uh, you know, Lucasfilm decided that you know they were the right studio to go with uh, for this particular project. And when they decided to go with Willfilm, you know, it was kind of a natural thing for Willfilm to to reach out to me and see if uh, if it would be a good fit. So I demoed, and you know, luckily got the gig. So uh, you said that you didn't necessarily connect with Star Wars initially. What about with the music? If if obviously you're you're much more musically inclined and and trained that way, um, 
Oh yeah, I mean the music is another story. I, I John Williams is is kind of been <laughs> the shining star in in you know my my musical um, inspiration growing up. It, it, you know when I was ten years old, I saw Jurassic Park in the theater, and that was that was really a, a defining moment for me, uh, both you know cinematically and musically speaking. That that soundtrack really touched me and. Um, you know, all, all of the scores that John have done, um, I'm just in, in love with them. I'm, I'm a huge fanboy. So, yeah, it's, it's been uh, an incredible rush to be able to work with his music on this project. It's, it's been amazing. If you had to pick a favorite soundtrack of his, and it doesn't have to be Star Wars, I mean any of his, which yeah. would you say is probably his strongest? Oh, man. Well, that's, that's a really good question. The th- Here's the thing about John that I appreciate so much is that he continually pushes himself as an artist. And I think any uh, good artist has this this trait, you know, like the Beatles were. They, they didn't just sit you know, on their laurels. They were constantly pushing and evolving their sound. And so, you know, there's there's like different kind of periods that I see to John's work. You know, there's the, the classic John, you know, Star Wars and Indiana Jones, that type of thing. And then, you know, he went through kind of a renaissance in uh, in the aughts where, you know, he did films like Catch Me If You Can and, you know, Munich, which were really kind of interesting, um, you know, uh, intricate and totally different from you know, the material that he, he did before. So, yeah, I'd have to if I had to pick, I think, um, you know, Catch Me If You Can is one of my favorites. And um, I'd say... Uh, Raiders, Lost yeah. Ark, yeah, and and of course, uh, you know, uh, Jurassic Park, which is yeah. which is up there too. Yeah, I I think people tend to rotate through their favorites. Like right now, I'm on this huge <laughs> ET kick. Oh God, it's <laughs> such a great score. I know. Yeah, it's hard to pick. It's like, how do you pick your favorite child? But if so, going into to start to Star Wars, then you're working in Freemaker Adventures, and although it's a Lego show. Uh, and although it's played a little bit more comedically than anything else we've seen in Star Wars so far, the 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 music is still very earnest and honest. The same way um, you know George Lucas wanted it played in the in the classic films. So how do you how do you begin to approach that? Yeah, great question. I mean, one of the things that I always strive for in writing music for animation, um, you know, especially for for kids' animation, is to not dumb down the music. Is to really believe in the stories and um, believe in the characters, and therefore the musical extension of those characters and those story points have to be as authentic and real to you as possible. So, you know, I I, I score it kind of like I would a non-animation film. Um, or, or television show. So when we, you know, approached uh, writing music for the Freemakers, one of the trickiest things was tone. You know, how do we how do we make it sound like Star Wars, but you know, have it be its own thing that's uh, you know that's distinct distinctly its own thing. But and then the other tricky thing too is that it's. Tone wise, it is different. You know, there's much more comedic elements. So, um, you know, I actually referenced some of John's other comedic work, um, especially especially like action comedies, even, you know, like Indiana Jones uh, is a great example of some of his action comedy. So I 
definitely stole a bit of those sensibilities in the score as well. Because I I think if if you were to uh, you know score the Freemaker Adventures solely with the tone that's been written uh, that John you know wrote for the the films. It wouldn't quite work. It wouldn't have the right vocabulary, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It sounds like um, Dave Filoni, who, who was the supervising director on, on Clone Wars and, and Rebels, uh, had said that George Lucas had once told him, if you're, or he had said this, uh, Filoni himself, that if you wanted to learn how to make Star Wars, you have to study all the things behind Star Wars. And it sounds like it's very much the same way with the music. Oh, yeah. That's that's a, a beautiful quote, actually. Um very, very true. And that was actually one of the keys uh, that helped me unlock, you know, the tone for the, the, the score for Freemaker Adventures in that I didn't want to just do a copy of John Williams' Star Wars. What I did instead is I tried to find the inspiration uh, that, that John had for the films. So, you know, what were the composers that he was listening to for inspiration when he was writing the score for Star Wars? And so trying to, like, you know, peel back the curtain and, and go for the inspiration behind the inspiration. So you've done a lot of work in longer format things, whether that's uh, Furious 7 or video games or, or things like that. And Freemakers is a really tightly paced, short format television show is that more difficult to sort of pull those themes through uh sometimes scenes that are lasting you know blink and you'll miss them sort of yes 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 and yes (laughs) i mean that's the the really difficult thing about animation is if you're not careful the score can just end up sounding like sound effects you know i you're you're i'm always striving to try to make it sound like music in the end while still hitting you know all the dozens of things that you need to hit in a scene um to make it feel like animation music um so that's that's it's a it's a difficult thing and i it's it's always something i'm trying to get better at you got nominated for an emmy for season one yeah Mm -hmm. And, and uh if you had to go back, if you were a voting member of that of that body voting on yourself, um, what what's the one piece of music that you put together that you would you would look at and say, okay, I could vote for this? Oh wow, um, yeah, you know, I I think maybe the piece that sticks out is uh, I call it Saving Cloud City. And it's in uh, episode four where, uh, you know, Cloud City is 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 falling from the skies and Rowan has to to unlock his uh, force building uh, abilities in order to save everyone on Cloud City. Uh, And that was a really, really, really fun scene to score because it was was one of the uh, few scenes that was an extended scene. I think it was almost like four and a half minutes. Of it was it was just one scene, and in animation that's pretty rare to have that big of a of a canvas. Um, so it, it allowed us to to do some really uh, big things thematically, which I think you know uh, sticks out in that episode. So I, I had such an amazing time working on that episode and that scene in particular. One of the things that you seem to have been able to to do, like if you look at, I'm not sure how familiar or overly familiar uh, you are with Kevin Kiner's work, but he's sort of the only other person in town who's been able to do what you do. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But 
he sort of had to stick to a direction and be very much uh, sort of serious for for Clone Wars and, and Rebels, but you've been able to play with sort of themes that, that haven't been able to be remixed in other situations. I'm thinking things like, um, like the pod race stuff, which mm-hmm. there's not a whole lot of call outside of something like Freemaker Adventures to bring that into things, but I think <laughs> those are... Uh, those are how do you work with themes like that that are so iconically um part of those sequences and adapt them in and and i i don't know personally i think phantom menace is sort of an underrated score i agree i think um phantom is is one of my favorites of uh you know those that that other trilogy the the there's there's some really um there's some really beautiful, like lush music in there that I think gets overlooked for sure. But you know, to answer your question, it's it's really fun for me uh, to to work on a scene that references those Star those great iconic Star Wars moments because it allows me to be an archaeologist almost, you know, a musicologist. I get to go and and rewatch those scenes and see what John did um, and try to deconstruct it and find, you know, reverse engineer and, and figure out what are the, the, the tent poles that make that music sound the way it sounds and then steal those and then incorporate it into something new for the scene that I'm scoring. So that, for me, that's one of, you know, uh, I, I love, love, love doing that, that kind of archaeology work. What's Speaking of that archaeology work, what's sort of the the – the, the research you've done in that way that sort of surprised you the most? Yeah. Um, let's see. Well, one of the interesting things was, is, um, let's see during one sequence in episode six in season one, um, you know, we, we definitely referenced uh, a lot of music, um, from episode four, uh, uh, where there, um, you know, Lucas is, is charging in, um, uh, just to, to save the day. And, uh, the interesting thing is we went back and looked at the scores that, that John did and there's, there's, you know, multiple copies and <laughs> there's like different kinds of versions. You know, there's some versions with, you know, the baseline is doing one thing and then there's, there's another version where it's different. And so we kind of had to reconcile those, but in, you know, doing the work to, 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 to figure out what is, uh, you know, the best version to use for the scene. I was struck by how um, how jazzy the scores are <laughs> in Star Wars. Now, I know that sounds kind of crazy, but but bear with me a little bit. You know, John comes from a background of, you know, a, a lot of jazz scores. It's, it's kind of his, uh, the music that he cut his teeth on. And there's a lot of that in a lot of those jazz sensibilities in his writing in terms of like the rhythm. It's very kind of like, you know, syncopated. It's always um, the strong beats are like always uh, on the off beats. And so it's got like this very, you know, um, kind of off kilter feel to the rhythm and the music. And also that, you know, he'll throw in harmonies in there that shouldn't work. <laughs> like on paper, it should sound bad. Uh, but in a way it, it works in, in a, in a jazzy way. And, you know, like a jazz musician can take a, a wrong note and, um, work around that wrong note and make it sound like a right note. If that makes any sense. Yeah. No. Do you find that? So obviously you're, you're working in a much more strict 
setting when you're in the Star Wars universe. It has to match uh, the tone of the piece, uh, which is different in the Freemakers uh, case, but it also has to feel like Star Wars. Do you find that working in that really narrow sandbox and doing this research and finding out and deconstructing what John Williams has done has affected positively your work outside of this universe? Ooh, wow. That's a, also a really good question. Yes, uh, I think it has changed my writing style. Um, I'm not quite sure how yet. I think I'm going to find out on the next, uh, you know, project where I, I do some some big um, <laughs> music like this. It's kind of in the same vein. I think um, I have a, a definite appreciation for for melody now, um, you know, going through and, and researching and, and absorbing all the melodies that he did for Star Wars and then trying to write, you know, new themes for Freemakers um, that can, you know, hold a candle to what he's done. That was that was really informative. Uh, you know, like what what makes a good melody? What makes something stick in somebody's head? Um, that I, I think will definitely stick with me. As you're sitting down, like, what's the process like uh, for you to score episodes? Do they just sort of send you uh, finished episodes that don't have the score on them? Are you involved earlier in the process or later? What is that like? Are you sitting in, in sessions with, like, Bill and Bob and, you know, they're telling you, hey, this is what we're thinking? Or what is that process like for you? Yeah, so for me, I try to start as early as possible. I love to read the script just so that I can start wrapping my brain around the you know the story arc and and to get the scope of of what's gonna be needed musically. But you know, quite a bit changes between the script phase and then when I see the first rough animatic, and it can be quite surprising. You know, I can read a script and have an idea of what. Uh, the episode looks like in my mind and what it's going to need musically. And then I watch, you know, the, the first rough cut and it's, it's totally different. Um, and I think that's one of the, the, the amazing beauties of, of, of filmmaking and, and, and animation as well, where the, the, the film or the, the show is constantly being remade. You know, it's, it's made first in the script process and then it's made again in, you know, in the, in the directing and animation and then it's it's made again and, and changed and with when you add the music, and then it's it's changed again when you you know mess with the coloring or or the sound effects, and yeah that's 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 one of the joys is that it's it's constantly evolving, um, but it's it's not until that that rough cut where I I um, kind of figure out what's what's really gonna. Um, you know what what the scene is going to need, but yeah, working with Bill and Bob has been so amazing. They're incredible collaborators, and usually, what happens is once the rough cut um, comes around the bend, and we all sit down and and figure out you know what each moment needs musically speaking. Um, and I I love love having people into the studio because you know composing can be a, a solitary gig and. And having other people in the room with you to collaborate with is 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 it's it's a great uh, it's a great treat as a composer. Um, I watched some behind the scene. I went and found some behind the scenes videos of you uh, recording some of the music, and you're recording with uh, with live orchestral uh, uh, accompaniments, which isn't. I'm I'm under the impression, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, that that's kind of rare for television, and it seems like it would be more rare for a cartoon. 
Yes, uh, we were really, really fortunate and, and, and lucky to have a lot of support from a lot of different people to, to make it happen. Um, but we were able to secure a, a budget and for season one, um, you know, we, we recorded uh, overseas in Eastern Europe uh, with the um, in, in Bratislava, Slovakia, with an 80 piece orchestra. And that was incredible. We did five sessions over there and recorded most of the, the, the big set pieces of season one uh, with with, you know, 80 piece orchestra. And yes, as you said, it's it's not doesn't really happen that often with animation. So I'm extremely grateful to, to have that that opportunity. But, you know, the, the tricky thing about that is um, <laughs> whenever you record with a live orchestra, there's so much more work that goes into it uh, as opposed to, you know, keeping it all inside the computer. Um, there's there's a great amount of translation work uh, that, that has to happen. So it's readable by, you know, a human being uh, playing an instrument. So it, it was tough uh, that, that season one where we did those five recording sessions. It was it was pretty brutal uh, to keep that pace right. That amount of music and also, you know, record it edits, mix, and all that. So, I mean, I'm sort of a, a lay person when it comes to this sort of process. You're writing the music and you're coming up with what the, the, the themes need to be, and then you need to hand 80 different versions of this to an orchestra? Yeah, so it's not quite 80 versions. Um, it's, it's, it's less than that because, um, uh, you know, each, each section has a different amount of players in it. Let's say, you know, if we look at, like, the string section, um, oftentimes you're going to have five different versions or, or what we call them as parts. Uh, and that's, you know, violin one, violin two, viola, cello, and bass. And it kind of breaks in, out into that. So even though there might be 50 strings, 50 players, there's only five different parts. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, the rest of the orchestra, you know, with the woodwinds and stuff, those, those usually all get their, their own separate parts. Um, and percussion and, and, uh, brass, those are all their own parts. So (laughs) I remember the, uh, the, the poor, uh, copyist or, or or printer for the the parts, uh, over in our session (laughs) in Eastern Europe, he was like, that was the most amount of sheet music we've ever printed. (laughs) It was insane for that first like giant session that we did, uh, especially because it, you know, like you said, in animation, oftentimes the pieces of music are short. So that means it's, it ends up being a massively, uh, uh, you know, larger amount of of paper that you need to print for these animation scoring sessions. So I, I, I felt bad. (laughs) So how long does it typically take you to, I mean, and you said you, you've got the script uh, and you're sort of thinking about it and processing it, but if you could sort of define how long it takes you to come up with a score for one of these episodes, could you could you boil that time down to an answer? Yeah, well, the thing is, is that we're always, you know, at any given time, we could be working on three or four episodes at different stages. So... You know, from spotting until turning in the final mix, it may be, you know, a, a month that's spread out. But, you know, of actual writing time, it can vary between, you know, a week to like a, a week and a half per episode. But then there's there's especially if, if you're going to be translating to live, 
uh, orchestra, then there's a lot more time that goes into, you know, orchestrating and, and making those parts that we talked about and, and then, you know, editing the recordings and, and making sure those are mixed properly. So there's, uh, and then all the revisions, um, where we get notes back from the, from the producers and, and the writers and directors. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a spread out process. Uh, quite a bit, which is can be tricky because you know you're then you're multitasking and you're like wait, what episode was that? Are we, which what are we what are we working on? Or is this revisions for this episode? <laughs> so it get you you can definitely get uh, confusing at times. So speaking as a writer, which is sort of uh, creative in the same wheelhouse, where it's like sometimes. Uh, I'll have a deadline on something and, and the, the piece is just difficult and doesn't want to come, but I have a time limit. Um, are there any pieces of music that you've kind of run into that with where it's like, man, this, this just did not want to come out. And when it finally did, it worked really well or maybe less well. I would say more often than not, it's, uh, it's, it's not an easy process for me. Um, I mean, God bless the the those composers who can just sound sit down and it just streams out of them but that's that's not the way it works um it's it's a grind sometimes you know to be perfectly honest um you know and when it does happen where lightning strikes you know it feels like you're you're capturing the idea in a bottle that's a really uh it's a magical thing and i'm i'm sure you've you've experienced this too with your writing when you get inspired by something um, and it just like flows out of you. You almost feel like you're being possessed by the idea and you're not controlling the idea, but it's, it's the other way around. Um, so those are the moments that I, that I live for as a composer, but it's not the norm. It's, it's, uh, uh yeah. <laughs> yeah. As you're, as you're working on Freemaker, is there anything like, um, there's things in the show that just aren't like other Star Wars, like Grabala the Hutt. Like, oh God! <laughs> how do you approach Garbala, who, who is absolutely my favorite character on the show? He just makes oh, me laugh yeah. hysterically. He's amazing. I know. Uh, um, yeah, the <laughs> the the supporting cast in the Freemaker Adventures is is so talented. They're just extraordinarily funny um, actors and actresses. So, how do we approach? You know, something that's that should feel like it's that doesn't belong in star wars you know um i'd say for for me i always try to find some overlap um from the actual films and and kind of use that as um you know my my inspiration so taking grabala for example you know i i looked at what john did for um you know, Jabba and got some inspiration for that. He used kind of, you know, like low and, and flabby, um, instruments. And, and so I did that with Grabala, but I, I tried to put a comedic twist on it. So oftentimes for Grabala, I'll use this instrument called a contrabassoon, um, which is a, a big woodwind instrument. And it, the best way to describe, describe its sound is just like, some low, nasty farting. <laughs> it's Which is fitting like, for Grabala. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it fits his character really well. Um, but I, I always try to start with, okay, what, you know, 
where where are the the overlapping um, characteristics that I can draw from from the original films? Talking about the 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 main theme of the show, right? Which is something that like um, you had to come up with something original, but the main theme is is one of the most iconic pieces of music for any Star Wars property, whether that's uh, whether that's the movies or Clone Wars, that strike of music is unmistakable. And same thing with Rebels as it, it hits to the logo. And um, was that intimidating to you or, or how did how did how did you what did you do to come up with that that main theme for Freemaker? Oh, yeah, it was I was terrified, <laughs> uh, especially for this project, because uh, I knew that there was going to be John Williams themes side by side. Um, so it was, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just such a huge shadow that uh, Star Wars music casts. But after, you know, the initial uh, fear and getting over that, it was it was really for, for me what helped was, you know, OK, good example here for for Rowan's theme. What I tried to do was look at the comparable theme in, in Star Wars. Um, so, you know. Um, the force theme or, or Luke's theme. And I listened to that and tried to write my own version of it, you know, not tr- try to do a uh, sound alike, but try to find, you know, the core essence of, you know, what it, what is it about the force theme? Like what, how would you describe it using just adjectives? And for me, the force theme sounds like tragic, heroic responsibility, um, and um, a, a, a noble quality. And so I then took those ideas and, you know, tried to, to write my own theme from, from those emotions and those adjectives. Um, so that's, that's, that was my process. And that, that, that really helped um, to, to make sure that there was a, uh, you know, some synergy uh, between what I was doing and what, what the, and it come before with the Star Wars um, scores, but also make it my own thing. And then there's episodes where you have to marry the two, like that episode where Luke does show up. Yes. And then that's really fun is, uh, you know, uh, I know sometimes uh, like we've we've done uh, a, a cue or a piece of music where, you know, we've got the force theme going on and then um, I'll put the Freemaker theme on top. Um, and, and that's really so fun to be able to, to play with those melodies like that and just mix and match. Um, as you're, you said earlier that you didn't really connect to, to Star Wars until you were older. Was it this gig that, that helped you connect to it or what, what changed that for you? Yeah. So yes, it was this gig, but also, um, you know, it was the, the force awakens, uh, the the really amazing thing timing wise was that that film um, you know that when it came out in December I was kind of just getting going um, and so it was it was so inspiring for me to to watch those films and to see how those filmmakers had you know um, were taking something that had been done before and making it new and making it their own. And even for John, you know, he had to reinvent himself on the score um, for uh, The Force Awakens. And, and I know for a lot of people, it's maybe not their their, their most favorite Star Wars score. But for me, it, 
it's one of my favorites. You know, there's there's just there's a lot of intimacy um, in that score, uh, as 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 well as you know the style of the film itself. And I, I really connected with that that kind of intimate um, revisioning of the, the the Star Wars story. It's it's interesting. It's a score, and I f- I found the same thing with Rogue One, is that it they both really just grew on you. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. Like, the more you soak in them, the more you see all the the different pieces that that Williams and Giacchino are putting together. Um, that that yeah, the, you're rewarded for listening to them more and hearing things deeper and deeper into them. Absolutely, and I'd say that's the case for for all music. Is you know, when when you have a chance to really soak into a piece of music. And, and listen to it again and again and again. You really uh, gain an appreciation for it. And, you know, when, when some people, um, you know, critics, you know, harp on the, you know, the, the newer scores or, um, you know, film music in general saying that it's not memorable or it's, it's you know, it's not as good as it used to be. I, I disagree. I think, you know, those classic scores are uh, benefit from, you know, years and years and years yeah. of references and people hearing it over and over and over and over and over and over again. So it's it's kind of unfair. It's it's, it's judging, you know, apples and oranges. You know, I, I found um, – I don't think I heard the score the first time I watched Force Awakens. Oh, you interesting. Know, you know, like it was there, but I couldn't tell you what any of the music sounded like. And it wasn't until my third or my fourth viewing really part of that was, it was just an emotional experience, right? And like totally. you're taking the story in, but John Williams works almost as a narrator. Right. And when you feel the movie like that, it kind of fades away. That's a really good point. And it's one of the ironies of being a film composer in that if you're doing your job, you should go unnoticed not not necessarily um, uh, unappreciated or not being affected by it, but not necessarily noticed. If it's if it stands out um, too much, then it's, it's probably not doing the right thing because your job as a composer is to always be supporting the story and not necessarily riding on top of it. Is there anything specific in what you've studied in Williams? Um, that has helped you understand how he approached that? Yeah. Um, well, the interesting thing, the, the, the way that he writes his music, uh, you said it in your, in your last question is, his music is almost like dialogue in that, you know, you, it's hard to just take a chunk out. It, then it just feels like there's something missing, you know, uh, each, each, every little piece is, um, a, a sentence or a, a word that 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 you know collects to form a greater idea, um, and that's that's the one of the things I, I really appreciate uh, about the the way that he scores and and you know I think a, a great example of that is in the way that he writes music for under dialogue. It's it's one of the uh, the things I think that's maybe least appreciated about his his talent is that he has a way of working around dialogue in a scene that it's almost like the music uh, is, um, you know, another member of the cast that's weaving in its uh, in and out of the characters on screen speaking. Uh, and it's, it's incredible to sit down and, and listen to how he achieves that. 
I know season two of Freemaker um, is further along in the timeline than season one was, and season one sort of took us through uh, that period after Empire Strikes Back, but have you had any call to go back and, and try any of this deconstruction with uh, Giacchino's Rogue One score? Oh, oh mean like how uh, to, to see how Giacchino was using um, or maybe influenced by the, the, the Star or, Wars scores? Uh, that or, or have you had a call to like borrow any of his themes to bring into Freemaker? Oh, yeah. Um, well, we we're not. Uh, we actually can't use any of his themes. It's only um, John's that we have the the rights to for this particular season. Uh-huh. Um, so I would. I mean, <laughs> I would love to, but it's it's just kind of off limits. But I will say, um, you know, I, I think Giacchino also did an incredible job of you know. Of deconstructing and making it his own as as well with with Rogue Run. There's, it's there's some really really clever things that are going on that I, I can hear um, where he's he's taken little pieces, little fragments of of uh, um, you know Episode Four and and made them his own into this very new and fresh thing. And but it's it's really subtle. You have to uh, you know. Uh, it, it, you won't appreciate it unless you, you know, listen to it several times. No, I really loved that about what he was doing, where you'd get three or four notes into something John Williams had made, six or seven notes, and then he changes it at the end because we're not there in the story yet. Totally, yep. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, I really... I, what what For you, um, and not just with Star Wars, but scores in general, how do you watch a movie and pick which which score you're going to go home and buy to to listen to over and over again and invest your time in especially when you're steeped in music all the time like this anyway yeah oh man um well the, the interesting thing is that oftentimes um you know i i think it's it's hard to write um, a great score to a bad film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I what one interesting thing that I that I noticed that when I watch a film and I don't notice the score, it means that usually the the film is really good and that the score is really good because you know just the nature of my job is that I'm I'm always listening uh, to, to, to scores, I can't turn it off. And so when I'm watching a story that's um, that's totally engaged me and I forget that there's music there, that means that I know the, the movie and the storytelling and the score are exceptional because I, I am not paying attention to them, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no. When was the last time that happened for you? Like what – give me a movie score to go check out. Oh man! Um, Not to put you on the spot, but yeah, I'm trying to think. What was the last time that I was like really um, engaged like that? This. <laughs> uh, let me let me think for a second here. Um, well. This is going to be a, a weird one, but uh, I watched this um, 
not too long ago. There's this film called uh, Enemy. It's with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, mm-hmm. and it's it's a it's a super quirky like indie. It's a it's a weird film, but I was so engrossed in that film, um, and so in uh, when I went back and and re listened to the music, I was like. Oh wow, that was that was the score. It's like I had no recollection of of listening to that music. It just like totally sucked me in. I had that same sort of experience. Like you go back and listen to the score for Blade Runner, and you're like, "This was in the movie." Oh yeah, <laughs> sure. Um, so uh, you uh, presumably your work is complete on season two or close to complete. Uh, yeah, we're wrapping up soon. Um. Is there anything I don't want to ask anything untoward about season two, but is there anything, um, any theme uh, that you were able to reference from John Williams that might be surprising to people coming up? Hmm. Um. Not. I don't think that I can talk about. Okay. Unfortunately. Uh, uh, that's. I. I am used to that, and that is totally <laughs> an acceptable answer. I bet you get that so much doing this podcast that I bet it gets really annoying. Oh, the worst is Dave Filoni, where it gets uh. to the point where because I um for the longest time I was writing the cinema behind Star Wars column on StarWars.com, so I would like oh, cool. take movie influences that had turned into Clone Wars episodes or bits of Star Wars or whatever, and I was going to conventions and asking Filoni a lot, like, so uh, next season, what kind of movies should we check out to, uh, you know? To, to prep for the next season and it got to the point where he's just like I'm not telling you because you'll know what we're doing <laughs> um, so yeah. so I'm used to that I've been I've had a long history of that <laughs> yeah totally um but uh I I'm really excited to get into to season two I really I was I was really glad uh that it got a season two especially since it ended with such a uh, a cliffhanger about what would happen next yeah I'm really curious you know as a as a Star Wars fan, what is what is what was your take on the Freemaker Adventures? So I'm, I'll I'm be, really curious. I'll be honest. I was not. Uh, I wasn't interested in it off the bat. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the Lego stuff was uh, like the Lego stuff that had come previously was a little bit too winky. You know, like it was it was a little bit too much about making jokes rather than telling stories. Totally. Yep. And uh, finally, I decided to jump in on this because um, I think I had to interview Leland Chi at a convention. Yeah. And I wanted to be totally prepped on it. And it seemed like since it was canon adjacent, that it would be good for me to keep up on it anyway. Sure. And the first episode, I was like, okay, this is for kids. I can see this. But by episode two, I was just into it. It was just so entertaining. And by the the episode that made me absolutely love it more than just about anything was the that pod race episode oh Um, yeah it was just really really uh great to see that that uh i think the previous lego stuff was playing to adults who have a different relationship with the prequels yes and this was the first time i'd seen one of those things that played toward the kids who have a really great relationship with the prequels in a totally Mm -hmm. loving lovingly a loving way. And, uh, I was just, I was sold because that was, I mean, my kids love the prequels. My, the prequels are really? my kids, star Wars really? more than the classic trilogy. And so finally seeing them get to watch something like that, 
that connected with them was really, really great. And and I mean, not to bring you into it specifically, but the music was really great for that episode too, which is why I was talking about it earlier. And, and oh yeah, um, thank you. It it was just a really great episode. I mean, between Grabala, the imagery, the way everything worked, um, and just how fun pod races are, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah, I I think that's one of the 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 gifts that that Bill and and Bob bring is they just they have such a gift for authentic storytelling um, that any anybody can relate to. Um, and it's we're we're really lucky to to have them on the show. Yeah, no, those guys are are uh, hilarious. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, it was weird interviewing them at at Star Wars Celebration Europe because um, the show had already aired completely in the U.S., but it hadn't in the U.K. And they were like, "How do we talk about this?" And it's like, "Well, I'm a U.S. outlet," and they're like, "Okay, we can we can talk about everything." But on the panel that they were on. I was covering it for StarWars.com, and it's just like they had to hide everything behind spoilers because that audience just hadn't seen it at all. Oh, that's funny to have that mismatch. Yeah. That's weird. Uh, um, but you went to your first celebration. I did, yes. How was that for you? Was that like – because obviously not, not necessarily coming from that world of fandom – yeah, I I mean it was I'll be honest it was overwhelming. It was uh, just just by the sheer scale of it. Um I I remember it was <laughs> in a, it was pretty uh, funny and embarrassing. I like walked in um the first day. I missed I I couldn't be there on Thursday, so I came in on Friday and I got there um you know during the the day and uh I asked somebody like directions, you know, oh where's where's ticketing? Um and they kind of like gave me a strange look. Um, they're like, trust me, you, you can't miss it. It's that whole giant hall that's like right in front of you. So like I, in my, you know, in my imagining of, of, you know, what the convention was going to be like ticketing was like this small little booth somewhere. And it was just, <laughs> as you know, it's this giant football fields yeah. of, of, of ticketing space. So just the sheer size of it. And then the, the passion and enthusiasm and creativity that goes into those costumes. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary. The ingenuity uh, alone is, 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 is it's um, amazing. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I loved being around the atmosphere. It was, it was nothing like I'd, I'd really ever experienced. And there was, there was a real camaraderie there um, that I didn't expect actually. Huh. Um, no, I find that I find that definitely to be the case. Yeah, um, they're very different from other conventions. I don't know. I mean, have you had a reason to do other conventions outside of that one, and and maybe seen how the vibe is different? Yeah, so I, I went to WonderCon um, okay. in in LA, and yeah, it was it was just it felt very different. It felt um, Star Wars Celebration feels like it's a, like uh, just a bunch of extended family members coming yeah. together and having a good time. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's the best way I can describe it. Um for those of us who might want uh eventually um to see maybe a CD of Freemaker music, do you know if that's in the cards or is that anything you can talk about? Yes, uh we're we're working on it. Um I'm not quite sure. Um you know, it's 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 still in its planning stages, so uh, but yeah, we're, we're doing our best to, to get it out there. 
You should push to have them put it on vinyl too. Ooh, good idea. Yeah, I, uh, totally. I almost I listen to my Star Wars soundtracks almost exclusively on vinyl cuz I'm that jerk. Oh, no uh, way. That's awesome. And uh the Clone Wars discs that they put out or the Clone oh, Wars uh vinyl They put it out on vinyl for Clone the, Wars? Um yeah. Um they put out one, uh it was like 20 tracks on each side because they were so fast. But yeah, they put out one disc of Clone Wars vinyl and then they put out a single of the Rebels theme song that was oh, like a cool. celebration only exclusive I picked up. And I would, love, oh, wow. I would love to have Freemaker Adventures on vinyl. Totally. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, so I, I think everybody should look forward to that. Um, was there, like, for anybody who wants to, to learn more about you and your work and everything where do you where do you typically send people for that yeah so my website um is michaelkramermusic.com and uh for social media i'm just at at kramer composer and that's uh, kramer with a k well i'm uh i'm very glad that you're you're part of the star wars family now and uh really really enjoy your work on freemakers and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me Thanks, Brian. I, I really appreciate you having me on. So that was uh, that was the interview with uh, Michael Kramer, and he was a really great guy, and we had a lot of fun talking, and we probably could have done that for another hour and a half, but, uh, you know, we're busy people. Yeah, and, you know, <laughs> we were saying earlier that um, it was more like a, just a good conversation, like you're sitting down at a bar having a drink or a cup of coffee, yeah. just talking. It was very cool. And, I mean, there were some really interesting things uh, he had to say about music that, that kind of blow my mind because i'm not necessarily from that uh that world you know yeah, like even yeah. just the little things like how much sheet music you need to actually yeah. create one piece yeah for a, an orchestra yeah i liked when he pointed out uh how strong the jazz influences are in in john williams's work that we maybe don't always notice for the the layman like we don't always see how he's playing with those notes that maybe shouldn't fit into a score but they do and they become something beautiful because of how he handles them I had never thought about that because, as like you, music is not my zone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Anya plays piano and you know stand up bass, and she's constantly talking about different musical cues because she has all the Star Wars uh, music on her her phone. And um, I don't understand what the hell she's talking about, but apparently, it's good stuff. I like listening to it, but that's about as far as it gets with me. Um, I would pay money to see him and. David Collins talking together about music. Yeah, it'd be fascinating. That would be excellent. We're even having talked to Bobby about it too. Bobby knows this yeah. musical stiff. The three mm-hmm. of them on one show together would be a lot of fun. I could tell. It'd be the triumphant of musical awesomeness in Star Wars. Yeah, no, it was. I learned a lot doing that, and uh, I'm really grateful for Freemaker Adventures, and can't wait to, to see more of season two. Yeah, I'm really grateful that you actually uh, had the time to do it and uh, and got to share it with us all. Because that's awesome. Wish we could have been there. I do. Indeed. I wish you could have been there too. So, you know, that uh, interview was a good bulk of this show. So, you want to just read an email and just have a discussion and then hop on out and get about yes. our 4th so, of July weekend? We've got, uh, we've got an email from uh, Jonathan. And Jonathan says Hello, Mike, Brian, and Holly. My name's Jonathan. I've been listening to Full of Sith since about October of 2016. I've listened to almost every episode, and I find you all smart and entertaining. I do have a request, though. I went back, uh, and it's been a while since you had an interview with an author or a review about a book. I believe that your last one was the panel with E.K. Johnson and your book review of Ahsoka. 
though you have touched lightly on Empire's End, my request is that you invite more authors to talk about their books because I love listening to those podcasts. I've listened to your author's panel and your Kenobi review at least 10 times. Um, so just to answer that really fast, we are working to get more authors. Um, you know, you'll notice just a couple of weeks ago, we had Mike Stackpole and Timothy Zahn on. We talked a little bit about Thrawn. Uh, it's probably coming due for us to do a full episode about Thrawn uh, yeah. just as a character, both in the canon and the legends. So you can probably look for that sooner than later. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, we'll definitely talk more. Uh, uh, I mean, books are always at the top. There's just been a lot of crazy, exciting things going on. I don't think anybody's wanting to forget books, right? No, not at all. It's just that the other thing about time, it's, you know, I start a book and then the next book is out and then I'm reading some of that and then or listening to an audio version of it so we can talk about it on the show. So, yeah, like I have like six Star Wars books that I'm technically three quarters of the way through. Inferno yeah. Squad <laughs> comes out. Inferno Squad comes out in a couple weeks. Yeah. Is it, is it even a couple weeks? I think it's really soon. Yeah. It's within the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Which is crazy to me. Oh man, I've got so much reading to do. Yeah, we'd love to have so, uh, more authors on, and we'll, we'll make that happen. And and if you uh, if you really like that, thank you for listening since October 2016. But uh, there are some good uh, interviews with authors in the in the uh, archives, and Brian's done many a great interview with Tim Zahn and Stackpole, and I think we we did a couple panels with Christy Golden, and you know, yeah, and and Kate Kate's been on panel, or E.K. Johnson's been on panels, and uh, you know, we're definitely there's going to be a lot of authors at Salt Lake Comic Con. Yeah. And, and uh we're probably going to be doing some stuff with them. And uh if if you're looking for a panel that I think is probably one of the best discussions I've ever been a part of, look in the archives for Why We Killed Chewie, which is a discussion between uh Mike Stackpole and uh RA Salvatore about the the inner workings of the decision to kill Chewie and Vector Prime and that was a uh a panel that I moderated at a convention and it is absolutely one of the most fascinating dis discussions I've ever been privy to. Yeah. You know, it's another really good episode. I mean, the, the subject of it is, is rather sad, but when Aaron Alston passed, you had a really good um, show with a bunch yeah. of different people on it. That was a really yeah. good, good we episode. We brought on Mike, Mike Stackpole and Janine Spenlove, who um, Janine actually t became a Star Wars author writer after that. She, she got to do a short story called In Brief that was a prequel to Twilight Company. Yeah, and uh, her and Mike and I all knew um, Aaron, and and we we got to talk about him talk talk about him quite a lot, and how he got into Star Wars and everything. And um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some author stuff coming up, and we'll still work with Del Rey to see if we can get more authors to come on. Um, and I will definitely wave your note at them and say, "Hey, help us out with that." And Del Rey yeah. has already been very kind to us, and I'm sure there'll be more. Kind. Yeah. yeah. So to finish his email, I also have a question. This could be long enough for an episode or short enough to answer quickly, uh, but it's in three parts. Uh, he says, first, who are your five favorite authors? Second, what are your five favorite or le and least favorite novels? And third, what was your first Star, Star Wars novel that you read, canon or EU? And we'll get to those in a second. Um, and then the rest of his email just quickly so we can get out of the email section here. Says my comment is that I've been collecting and reading all the new canon novels, and I'm trying to collect the EU books. The New Jedi Order is hard to find, and I've been trying to beat Brian on number of Star Wars books I've read. So, Brian, how many books have you read? Thanks for reading this rancor-sized email, and I look forward to more podcasts and specifically more episodes with authors and books. Jonathan. 
Um, as far as num- numbers of books I've read, um, I've by no ma- means read all of them. Um, so if you read maybe half of the Star Wars books, you've probably got me beat. I don't know. I've read a lot, but I haven't kept track in that way. Um, so you're probably already beating me and you don't even need to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in that boat where, uh, you know, during the dark times, I read a lot, but I, my retention has been kind of garbage. Like, I honestly, there was a moment where I picked up one particular book and started reading it and I had just bought it and I was like, wait, this all feels really familiar. And I had already bought and read it like two years prior to that. So <laughs> my answers are going to be real cloudy. There's it's for me. It's like there's books that just stick with me and I can recall details years later. Yeah. And books that just I lose immediately. Like in the new canon, I like I could tell you like two details about Heir to the Jedi, but I could take you beat for beat through A New Dawn or uh, um, or Tarkin or Lords of the Sith. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so so going back to his questions for the two of you, um, who are your five favorite authors that you like reading in the uh, in the Star Wars universe, and that could be the uh, Legends universe, or the current canon, or both, or or whatever. I'm going to start by answering the other part of his question: What was my first Star Wars novel, and my least favorite, which was my first one? That would be Shadows of the Empire. Um, I didn't really read any of the books until we had that reading assignment for the show, and because of that, and because of the show, I started reading more of the authors. and And like I said, Delray has been very kind to us, and I get to to read the books. So the favorite ones and favorite books, I'll go by order of thinking about it. I really like Dark Disciples, so that's Christy Golden, right? Mm-hmm. And I really like um John Jackson Miller. He had a couple books, let me think. Um Kenobi and a New Dawn. New Dawn, yep. And then Tarkin. That was done by Lucino, right? James yep, Lucino. Lucino. And yep. he had another book that I really like too. Darth Plagueis. I like that book too. Yep. And um well I mean Zahn, I like I I've read Heir to the Empire of his, right? Is that right? Yeah. And you yeah. read Scoundrels too, right? Scoundrels. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, I get, I get, um, I, I like the Twilight Company too. Uh, but, um, my, my point is I do, I get l- most of the way through the books and then another one comes out and I fully intend to finish them, but I have listened to many of them in audio form too. So I would say of the ones that are come off the top of my head, because I don't remember all that stuff very well. I'm glad I actually remembered correctly in this case, but that that would be my answers. Uh, what about like the Ahsoka what about you, book? Holly? Too. Go ahead. The Ahsoka book was really good. Yeah, she did a really good job of that. Um, yeah, so I'm pretty sure the first one that I read was Heir to the Empire. Uh, and I think that was because my husband had it when we met. Um, and my favorites... This is very hard. Um, I love 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 bloodline Mm. more than i like lost stars i know a lot of people love lost stars i have some weird things with that um i don't dislike it i just said uh have some things um and i like the ahsoka book a lot i think i mentioned when we talked about it on the show i love the cadence of kate's writing so much like it's just i love it i love the way her stuff scans like it just it it feels very natural to me as a reader um i'm trying to think of who all my favorites are and it's tricky because i don't 
I don't usually do a favorites list for stuff like that. And then I find myself thinking about the comics and I'm like, should we be talking about that? That's, <laughs> that's, that's one of my problems too. It's like, it's like I, I've known so many of these authors now and I've interacted with so many of them and so many of them are like just really great people. So I like, uh, and so many of them have been so helpful in me and like yeah. helping build my career. So it's just like picking my favorites or it's like picking favorite friends. And, you know, to be clear, we're talking about, you know, authors of the books that have been coming out, whether it be, you know, Legends or the, yeah. Yeah. the new canon. But so we're not talking about like Lucas as a writer or, you know, um, Kasdan or, you know, you don't. These are just authors, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. I think my two first, I can't remember which one I read first, but it was before Heir to the Empire came out. But I got the. um the Han Solo and the Lando books and yeah. Splinter of the Mind's Eye. So like, I, I want to say my first Star Wars book was actually Han so- or, uh, Lando Calrissian and the Star Cave of Thon Boca, which wow. is the last of his trilogy and the worst of the three. <laughs> but I love that book. I love that whole series of books. I went back and reread the Lando books uh, earlier this year, and they're just a lot of fun. Um, so those were the first ones I did. Um, my favorite, my favorite books though, I think Lost Stars is high up there. Um, Darth Plagueis is high up there. Shatterpoint is high up there. I haven't read Shatterpoint. Shatterpoint is Apocalypse Now in the Clone Wars where, um, and they hint at this in the canon now. So like, uh, uh, Depa Balaba, who was Kanan Jarrus's master. Sure. Um, they sort of obliquely reference the uh, the events of Shatterpoint in the Kanan comic about how she'd gone in this coma and Mace Windu had to find her. That's the story in this uh, book. Okay, and she's gone full Colonel Kurtz, and Mace Windu is Martin Sheen trying to go after her wow. in this jungle planet. It's so good. It's so dark, and it's so it. really interesting. I have to read it. Hey, I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off, but I remembered wrong. My first Star Wars book that I read was Death Troopers. I don't remember who wrote that, but that was the first one I read. Death Troopers is fun. Yeah. Who wrote that? Um, was it Tri- uh, Schreiber? Or? Yeah, Joe Schreiber. There you go. That was the first one. And then we had our homework. We've had him on the show, too, right? Yeah, at least so. You know what's funny? Um, people who are interested in um, The Expanse, we've had the writers of The Expanse on, too. They wrote a Star Wars book, and we had them on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been doing this for a while. It was Honor Among <laughs> Thieves. Yeah. That's right. Um. Yeah. Wow. No. Yeah, we've had a lot of authors on the show, actually. <laughs> um. But uh, so look, we didn't. We didn't even remember it. Kenobi is another one that I really love. Good book. I um, love the X-wing books are really great. All of them. Every single one that Mike Stackpole wrote, and every one that that Aaron Alston wrote in the Wraith Squadron. Mm-hmm. Those are fun and funny books, um, and they're heartbreaking too. And they're just they're just really good. Um, and I love I love Tim's work. Uh, I think my favorite of Tim's actually is this new Thrawn book, though. It's good. It I is think good. I like it better than the Heir to the Empire trilogy. Wow. And I think part of that though is that the Heir to the Empire trilogy, after a certain point, um with all of the canon stuff, like the prequels and stuff, I had to start thinking differently about Star Wars and what the lore was and how the Force works and things. And 
it kind of broke. It started chipping away at Heir to the Empire a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. But Thrawn fits in all of that perfectly. Yeah. Um, so you don't have to like look past those flaws a little bit. Um, while we are uh, talking about ones we love, one I wanted to mention that I did not mention earlier is the um, the short stories by Landry Walker that were collected in the the Aliens Volume One book that was connected to um, uh, the Force Awakens. I heard about yeah. that. I've never heard because, small. Uh, yeah, oh, that was one of the stories. It's Tales from a Galaxy Far Far Away, Aliens Volume One. Uh, but it collects, yeah, all of those. And it's a lot of the different um, characters from, like, Maz's Castle, which I love. That's, like, in my my wheelhouse of, of obsession. Anytime there's, like, a, a bar or a gathering of a bunch of random characters, I really like hearing their backstories. Does Grumgar are, in that book? I, I'm i trying to remember. Um, no, he, shows so. up, he shows up in the, the one about Bazine uh, ah, a little bit. Which was uh, uh, Delilah Dawson. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, but this was just, it's really fun. They're kind of short vignettes about each of them. You get some really good Crimson Corsair action going on. That was one of my favorite stories. It's really good. There's a lot of, there's some that are really creepy and some that are really funny. There is one that is a whole like thing where some people tried to um, pull the wool over Uncar Plot. Plot's eyes by setting up like an online dating thing <laughs> with a, a, a woman who was interested in him That's and the awesome. way it it plays out is really, really funny and clever. Uh, I really enjoyed that book, so I wanted to make sure I gave it some love because it doesn't always get the spotlight as much as some other Star Wars books do. Holly, can you yeah. can you send me a text later with that the name of that? I, I gotta read it. Yes, thank you. Um, I don't have anything to write down. Short right now. story books. There's some really great ones too in the um like Tales from Jabba's Palace and Tales yeah. from the Bounty Hunters and stuff. And those those books are um some of the stories can be really silly and stupid. Um, but some of them are really great. Some of them really kind of laid the foundations for stuff that we were going to get in the canon for years to come. So his uh, one of his questions in that was, which books did you dislike? Or could you pick a book? Pick, let me say it again, because I can't speak English. Could you pick a book that you disliked or didn't like as much as the other? Yeah. Um, Shadows of the Empire is obviously a book that I did not like. And I, I would recommend going back and listening to our Shadows of the Empire episode to hear why. It was a good um, episode. It really was. I would also say I did not like Vector Prime, uh, which killed Chewie, and that kind of kicked me out of the EU for a while. I read it pretty religiously. I read just about everything that had come up um, until Vector Prime came out, and then I just sort of read the tie-in books for the movies, so the novelizations and things like The Cestus Deception and yeah, uh, um, what was uh, Cloak of De- which is the one that uh, documented Obi Wan and Anakin's border dispute on Anseon, but. Uh, that I think that was I think that might have been the Cestus Deception or Cloak of Deception or something. I don't know. Anyway, those books that that tied in with the prequel era. That's kind of all I read at that point because I didn't really respond well to Vector Prime and I didn't really need Chewie dead. Well, was um, that that was going to be my question? Was because Chewie died because he was a hero, or was it the book itself? Um, I think part of it was the commitment of the book, right? Like I was like nineteen, and here we were going to have like this twenty book series, so I just yeah. couldn't keep up with it yeah. that fast um and i really got bored with the fate of the jedi series the legacy the legacy of the four series was fantastic um 
and I loved every installment of that series and I loved how it ended and I loved what it brought us and I loved that we're getting some of those vibes in The Force Awakens. But then The Fate of the Jedi came out afterward and even with my friend writing the first chapters and Christy Golden in the middle chapters and Troy Denning in the, the final chapters, like it just like that whole Abeloth thing just bored me. Um, Crucible, which was the last canon novel or the last novel in the old legends that was supposed to be the last hurrah. Um, I really hated that book too. And I think we talked about that on the show when it came out. Yeah, we did. Um, and it was, it was, you know, it's got scenes in it where it's like, Oh, Han Solo is getting tortured by weird force creatures for half the time. And like, they keep like, obliterating his eyes and they keep growing back and they kill him and he grows back and it's just like why am i reading this what about you holly um i did not share brian's dislike for vector prime i i don't honestly remember a lot of how i felt about the book overall but i did want to mention there is a passage in that book that to me was so powerful i still think about it and it was after chewie's death and there is this moment where uh it discusses Han's sort of inner monologue and what's going on with him and how he is dealing with the revelation that they don't have this magical protective bubble around them. Like he always kind of thought like, yeah, but we'll always get through and like how that really just shattered his entire worldview. And to me, it was some of the most powerful writing in or out of star Wars I had ever read because it's so captured that moment when someone is really having to take a, a serious look at everything they believed and realized it was wrong. Yeah. But um, I actually, the book that I really, really don't like, and it is no shade to the author, it's just a, a taste thing, is one that Mike said that he loves. I, I do not enjoy Dark Disciple. No? You know, romance is not my jam. I'm sort of like, every time I'm reading romance on the page, uh, I feel embarrassed for everyone involved. Like, it never, <laughs> yeah, never, I, I like it never vibes for me. And I didn't love that Quinlan Voss, like suddenly as a result of having this relationship really kind of turned on himself in many ways. I struggled with that. Uh, but yeah, I, I romances. And that's the problem that I have with lost stars is once it gets into the romance, I feel like there are some lost opportunities there. See, I'm a sucker for it. I really am. Are you? I, I, can't, I can't like the thing that I struggled with in lost stars. And again, this is a taste thing. I'm the writing itself. There's, uh, nothing wrong with but there's a thing that I like to call um, the myth of the majestic virgin that comes up a lot particularly in young adult literature and it's like when two people get together for the first time that have no sexual experience and it's like magical and it's perfect and it's not like the clunky mess that that sexual experience can be initially and so I feel like initially that's, that's kind of a lost opportunity right initially <laughs> uh, practice makes perfect yeah um i feel like that's a lost opportunity in a lot of young adult books because you could really and in in lost stars in particular those characters were so um we should probably say spoilers at the top of this um were so close before they had that relationship that i felt like it really could have been a time where you show how kind of like hilarious and wrong and clunky and awkward that can be and how that could actually be something that grows that relationship instead of it just being and it was amazing and it's like mm. Uh, but th- again, that's me. I don't. For some people, they want that escapist, idealized experience, and I understand that. For me, it doesn't resonate in a way that I really enjoy. But uh, and, those of you mine, and that's totally fine. And I don't. I didn't know that you missed the memo that we're supposed to agree on everything, Holly. What? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, I think I also makes missed total the sense. memo. I think 
that I'm supposed to love everything Star Wars and be completely uncritical about it. Completely. <laughs> you must have missed that one too, Brian. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not to not to diss on anybody who likes any of those books. They were just not for me. And yeah. That's, but that's the wonderful thing. There's, there's so much out there. And I to, to speak to uh, the listener that wrote this email, I mean, and everybody else who hasn't read any of the books, there's so much out there over the course of all these years that there is a book or seven or 12 for, for anybody. And there's going to be yes. something you come across. And I think we did this on an episode a while back where we talked about books that we liked. And I don't know if we rated them in order, but we talked about, we said, if you're going to get into reading some of the books, here's some of the ones that we think you should start with. And you'll find some you like, and you'll find some you don't. And for me, I finished a few that I wasn't exactly nuts about because I wanted to be able to talk intelligently about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot out there. There's so much out I there. Also, uh, really, really enjoyed Rebel Rising. Yeah, that yeah, was that yeah. was a good book. Yeah, it was. Some of the, I mean, I know a lot of people have said this, but I will reiterate: some of the the best and most exciting storytelling to me in Star Wars is going on in the young adult space. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I love the stuff they're doing in the adult space, but yeah, YA is just really knocking it out i'm so excited for claudia gray's leia book that's coming oh, out oh i'm so mm-hmm. excited for it yeah especially because i do love bloodline so much like bloodline is a great book i think Claudia's oh. a great writer it is. I like, we've had claudia on the we show we have too. had claudia on the show as well yep yep i also I, i'd be remiss i know they're, they're kids books but i really like vader son and leia vader and daughter you know We've had him on the show. Yeah, Jeffrey well. Brown. Yeah, I love those books. I, I read those with Anya all the time. They're so fun. She does the voices of Leia. I do the voices of Vader and the other characters. It's very cute. That's so sweet. Yeah, it's very cute. So read those with your kids, too, because those are a lot of fun. And Anya loves Jedi Academy. So if you're a youngster or even just a regular person and you want to check those out as well. she uh, Brian, did you read any of the Jedi Academy books? Like the Jedi Academy books, the... Uh... The Kevin J. Anderson books? The ones that are like um, a graphic novel. Oh, the Jeffrey Brown books. Yeah, yeah. Um, I th- Man, I went straight to Jedi Search, Dar- uh, Dark <laughs> Apprentice. And, Sorry. Um, and no, I really dislike those books. Um, but no, Jeffrey Brown's books, those are good. Yeah, I read those. I, there's not a lot of rereadability yeah. for me there, but when uh, you're especially 11. since they're not part of the canon. But yeah, I think that... The, I think they're doing a really great job in making sure that there's some kind of Star Wars book for everybody out there. Yeah. Unless you're a two-year-old Jar Jar fan. <laughs> and, and someday. I hold, hope so. Hold that hope. I mean, I've been... Uh, it really sucks. They've, they only made, as far as I could tell, two Jar Jar books for kids in 99. And one of them... Uh, one of them's just like a little floppy, like sort of like reader's book. It was uh, in the same series as that Qui-Gon book that was like, I am a Jedi. And, uh, the other one is like this weird, like paper doll cutout book. And, uh, so the Jar Jar only appeared on the front page and you popped him out and then kind of put him in these cutout slots in every other page of the book. Hmm. But finding, but so he doesn't really appear anywhere else in the book, right? Because you're supposed to pop him out. Because he can appear anywhere in the book. Right. Um, but when you're trying to buy them secondhand to give to a two-year-old, none of the Jar Jar paper dolls have survived. Yeah. Right. So I buy this book because she wants a Jar Jar book, and there's no Jar Jar in it. Well, you can make confusing. a Jar Jar. I know. I was just going to say, could you, if we could, could find a good image out. online, yeah. we could 
print it out and laminate it, and then she could have it and yeah. even chew on it as two years two year olds are wont to do. Yeah. Um, but uh, I just think that they need more more content in that in that space that's not just retellings of the movies and maybe i'm just in a weird space too because i don't want to show her the movies or the stories of the movies until i show them to her when she's older Mm -hmm. i kind of want to just keep her in the the phantom menace era so that she's familiar with the world um in the first place yeah which is fine because she loves it um so everything pre-clone wars um there's just not enough kids material there but i think that would be the best way to help introduce kids to it for parents that don't want to spoil the story for them like right off the bat i don't know yeah it makes sense all right well cool that's um i wonder if we answered that question i think I we, we did i think we, <laughs> we probably did and then some. yeah i was gonna say i think we answered it and uh added a little bit more so well that's gonna do it for this episode then do you guys want to talk about your other shows and uh things you do let people sure. know sure <laughs> Uh, Brian and I uh, co-host a show called Fothentic History, where we talk about fictional histories as though they were real. Uh, you can find that at Fothentics. You can find me at uh, Stuff You Missed in History Class, which is my regular job. Mm-hmm. And that is at MissedInHistory.com, which will connect you to all of our social media. And then I'm on Twitter as at SirLaystGirl. Um, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at SwankMatron. Um, authentic history is obviously a really good place to find me. And our latest episode is the battle of Christophsis for all of you people who are interested in the clone wars history. Um, and the thing I'm kind of pushing for is I need, uh, as soon as I hit 50 backers on my Patreon, uh, I'm going to send everybody a free copy, uh, of the audiobook of lost at the con. So Ooh. if you are interested in hearing me read you my first book, that's a great book, by the way, I love that book. It's really um, fun. Yeah, that's that's the easiest way to do it and to have me read it to you. Because obviously, if you're listening to this, my voice is not a turnoff to you. Um, if you've made it this far into the episode, I haven't. My voice hasn't made you turn it off. <laughs> it might just be for you. No, but it is a good story. Uh, it is a good story. <laughs> maybe um, there's so, spite listeners, Brian. We don't yeah, know. <laughs> maybe. Um, but uh, if you if you're interested in that, once I get fifty. 50 patrons on my Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash swankmatron. I'm going to be sending everybody a copy of that. Uh, and then when I hit 100, I'm going to start my science fiction serial that's very Star Wars-y and everybody will love it. So awesome. jump in on that. Big shiny robot. Yeah, that that too. Go I'm there. everywhere. I'm still doing stuff on starwars.com. They yeah. haven't they haven't removed me from that yet. They're not going to. You're cool. You're Star Wars-y, Brian. All right, yeah. if you want to leave us a voicemail, please do so by going to the SpeakPipe app on our website or just recording one and sending it to our email. The website is fullofsith.com, and the uh, email address is holocron at fullofsith.com. If you go to fullofsith.com, you'll find things like the show notes and pictures and links to things we were talking about and a whole bunch of things. And um, if you want to look for me personally on Twitter or anything else, I'm at the mic, and uh, themike.com is my website where I have things and stuffs that I've done for many, many years if you're interested in that. I don't know why you would be, but it's there. Also, Facebook.com slash Full of Sith. Like us there and Facebook.com slash groups slash Full of Sith. Uh, go there and get in on the conversations we have there. And if you're uh, in the, uh, the mood to leave a nice review or a honest review, please go to um, iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere you get our show from and leave us a nice review. That would be appreciated as well. So for this episode 223 of Full of Sith and my, um, my really good and kind and friendly co-host Brian Young and, and Holly Fry. I am the Mike Pilot. May the force be with you, always. 
sir, if you'll not be meeting me, I'll close down for a while. <coughs>